0: You. Making a view Making a view Say six. Six. six five, five. Four. Three. Two. One.
1: Hello and welcome to episode sixty of Rank and Review, and that's not the only reason it's a special episode, because today we're looking at the prequel trilogy from George Lucas in the Star Wars universe. For such a big task, I needed three guests, so today you're going to be hearing from Paxton Francis, Dorian Brady, and Ryan Geezy. and we are going to discuss The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. As usual, I'm your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and uh, I hope you don't mind that uh, this episode kind of digs in. Star Wars is a big topic, so uh, I'm splitting the two trilogies into two separate episodes, all in anticipation for this fantastic new Star Wars release, The Force Awakens. So, I hope you enjoy a bit of a different episode this week, and if you have feedback to send me, please do. You can send your feedback to at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please seek out the show on Facebook and on iTunes, and please tell your other friends about this podcast. The more people listening, the more worthwhile things seem. I hope you enjoy episode 60 of Rank and Review. I almost neglected to mention, in this the 60th episode of Rank and Review that, as usual, you will be expecting spoilers and coarse language. Perhaps a little bit more coarse language than usual. Welcome to the 60th episode of Rank and Review, R&R Wars, Nerd Rage.
0: Paxton Francis here.
2: Hello, I'm Dorian.
3: My name is Ryan Geezy and this is the sound of my voice.
1: We are on the edge of this brand new Star Wars movie being released, and it's arguably the most anticipated motion picture in history, maybe since the prequels happened. Uh, And uh, in the wake of this, it's only a couple of weeks away, by the time the episode drops, it'll probably be out and about, and the jury will be out. But uh, what do
0: you feel about Star Wars? What does Star Wars mean to you? My first vivid memory of any film experience is Return of the Jedi. I cried all the way home. I was already in love with Star Wars by this point from having seen it on... It was 1983, so we would have (laughs) just gotten our first VCR and I'd have seen all of them. And... uh, no I was crying tears because I understood this was the last one I knew there weren't going to be any more Star Wars movies after this so I was sad but mainly because of all the dead Ewoks I was devastated by, by the watching the Ewoks the Ewok die was hard to take. the one Ewok shake, trying to shake his other Ewok, <laughs> Ewok friend awake and I thought he's saying something in Ewokese whatever the hell they're like yeah. and to my little you know six year old brain it sounded an awful lot like mama and i thought the ewoks mom had been blasted and she's laying the sizzling little teddy bear yeah it was it was emotional but uh, i loved it anyway and those movies have been special favorites of mine for a long time just like many many guys our age
3: i saw it when i was 4 years old yeah. uh, in the theater with my mother, with my dad and my brother and uh, at that age it was just it was just phenomenal like yeah. i remember leaving the theater just so elated yeah. and wanting to uh, you know, Venture into the stars as soon as I could <laughs>
1: you grew up with the toys the video game the whole thing?
3: Yeah, I had a friend that had uh, so many toys uh, walkers and ATSTs and uh, so many different characters I uh, Yeah, spent many a day over at his place uh, yeah, Indulging in those even though uh, maybe <laughs> otherwise we may not have actually even really been that great of friends honestly
1: <laughs> so.
2: For me a Star Wars I grew up with Star Wars and Star Trek, so I'm both, (laughs) I guess. A lot of people tend to delineate between the two. Um, But for Star Wars, it was just something that was so amazing because it was this whole universe. It it wasn't our universe and it wasn't the future like Star Trek was. Star Wars was like, it's this entirely different galaxy. It's supposedly so distant from ours and yet it was so reachable, I guess. They had... Mm -hmm you know, the same issues. I'm constantly trying to fight against a galactic empire, so, you know, it's spoken It's relatable. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's possible that we can like or be as passionate about Star Wars as we were when we were kids? I mean, we're in the right age category that we grew up with Star Wars, but without that lens of childhood, do you think Star Wars still has its power, or is part of it that we just grew up with that universe?
2: I think part of it is that we grew up with it. I think that that really flavors how we look at the movies and then just sort of how we apply it to our own lives. Um, I was talking with a coworker about it recently, and she's quite a bit younger than me, and she grew up with the prequels as her first introduction to That's Star Wars. That's so heartbreaking Wars, to me. Isn't it? <laughs> she said she loved it, though, when she was younger, because she was like, I grew up with it, it was shiny, it was this, that, the other thing. Then she watched them again as an adult, and she's like, it was a very different, different lens, right? Like, Yeah. So. Well,
1: it's weird because I've heard the uh, argument made that the, well, if you look at the prequels, as kind of goofy kids movies, <laughs> telling a super dark story but in a kid's lens, uh, they try to use it to justify some of the schmaltz that we ha- have here. And there was a lot of schmaltz. And there was a lot, but the thing is, there's also a lot of decapitations, a lot of children being killed, a lot of like yeah. not for kids <laughs> stuff. So I don't know who these
3: movies were for. It, it, you kind of knew <laughs> that it was going to be, it was something different when yeah. you when you left the theater. You were you were just like, like what what did we what did i just watch you know <laughs> what just happened to yeah. me yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it was it was it was profoundly uh it was life changing yeah it made it gave you a different perspective on a lot
1: of things i guess can can i speak or can we speak honestly about star wars now that we're going to be watching them and we're you know knocking on 40 instead of in the single digit age
0: category well the uh the simple answer to your question is no yeah I don't think that Star Wars can be topped as far as our subjective experience of Star Wars.
1: Is there anything good to be said about the prequels?
2: I think he had a new toy, which was his CGI, and he ran with it, so... Um we, actually, what's really funny is sort of to touch on what you're talking about with the fans and how the fans were vehemently opposed to what was going on in this universe. A lot of them have actually made their own versions. Um, one thing I Alternate watched cuts, yeah. yeah, to sort of prepare for this was an amazing one that put one to three together, and it basically ignores episode one yeah <laughs> and then episode two it cuts out a lot of things there's and it, it focuses no valid plot on the story in the Phantom menace well, because there's so many things going <laughs> on right because he felt he had so much to tell. I mean he said that himself. Um, But it focused just directly on Anakin's becoming Darth Vader, which is what I had kind of thought that they should have been about. So I really liked that aspect. But yeah, it was much better as a cropped (laughs) edit, fan edit, I thought. And that's kind of sad.
1: The last thing that got done before production started, and it was right down to the deadline, was the writing of the script. Pre-production was made, models were being made, character designs, costumes, all of that stuff. And it was
2: modified. They actually cut out chunks and then had to refilm certain parts um, to sort of adapt to what he had changed.
1: It seems vaguely irresponsible to spend that much money on a movie and not care about the script. And that really does seem to me what happened there.
0: The prequels serve a good purpose, and that is that, you know, everybody likes to complain about the weather. If there was no bad weather, what would strangers talk to each other about on the what street, would the internet obsess right? over if these prequels? What would nerds rip on if these prequels? We'd be <laughs> we'd be, be stuck, Star stuck criticizing <laughs> Star Trek Five and the Next Generation movies, or we'd be stuck complaining about Highlander Two, right? Like these movies got rid of the need for all of that shit. You can put Highlander Two out of your mind. You can forget about Alien Three. None of those matter anymore because the prequels, just. Were the worst disappointment ever. Nothing else can ever be as disappointing as The Phantom Menace was, ever, in no. the history of.
1: In, I in can't, because the, then something would have to be as amazing to me as the original. Star and Wars. it
0: can't be, because, you know, our I'm childhoods are eight. gone forever. <laughs> yeah. So for us, and for me, th- there can't ever be another cinematic disappointment like The Phantom Menace. It damaged me too badly, and the scar tissue will protect me from future disappointments.
1: My left handed compliment will be that. The prequels' existing guarantees that we've seen the worst Star Wars movie. Yeah. I refuse to believe that Walt Disney, uh, you know, is going to buy this franchise and fuck it up that bad. They've been managing the Marvel Universe very effectively, I think. So For the uh, most part, yeah. Uh, I, there's no way they spend that much money. And in in a world where they can now make a Star Wars theme park yeah, that people can go to. Instead of know? just one ride at exactly. Disneyland. Exactly. Like, Star Wars... World. So, the good thing about the prequels is, yes, there won't be a worse Star Wars. There can't movie. be a worse Star Wars movie. There may Wars be movie. bad Star Wars movies. In fact, I think we're going to have to prepare ourselves that there very likely will be a.
0: Considering that there will, in perpetuity, be a new Star Wars movie once a year until they stop, stop making, making money. money, so yeah. until long after you and I are dead,
1: and even then they'll go to TV. I guess, there, I, like,
0: there will be bad Star Wars movies in the future, but right. there won't be another. There might even be worse, but there won't be another one as disappointing. disappointing.
3: Uh, well, you know, it, it's the, the Star Wars universe is an amazing place and yeah. they take place in that universe and, and, uh, visually amazing, uh, amazing movies with, uh, you know, I, they kind of betrayed the original, um, way of doing things by like doing a lot more CGI and that and getting away from that. But despite that visually amazing movies, I mean, yeah. like, uh, you know, um,
1: they're undeniably well, well,
3: it technically te- well te- achieved. Absolutely, absolutely, technically very awesome. Um, and the storyline li- story is, is solid, but you've got the, you know, then the, the things that make it into the bad movie, the, the dialogue that just stands out as so bad in so yeah. many places, unbearable in some places, uh, and then the lack of chemistry between some characters
1: that really have to have chemistry in a story yeah. like that. I yeah, I never really thought about what a tall order it is acting wise for people in a Star Wars universe But famously George Lucas is not much of an actor's director and the dialogue is not good No, they didn't and have in, a lot to work with in there. this case They didn't have the environments or even the puppet characters to interact with right a lot of the time They're in a big green room <laughs> yeah. talking to a ball on a stick. Yeah, yeah. like they it's... don't know what they're looking at like exactly. you can, and you can tell especially when like they're knocking down those droids that those were just two actors waving their their arms around. Yeah. And the animators filled the rest in. There's no weight to it. Yeah. No matter how good of an
3: actor you are, if you've got uh, yeah, conditions like that where you don't have the the freedom or the proper direction or the dialogue to work with, then yeah, you can only do so much. So you got an Ewan McGregor in there, a doing great everything great, everything actor, can, great actor, great actor. Yeah. You know, doing everything you can to make it work, and and just you know really having nowhere to go. to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance
1: to the Force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen.
2: He can help you.
1: The Force is unusually strong with him.
2: He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell <laughs> him to take off! Will I ever see you again?
0: What does he hurt tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know?
1: Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. (laughs) I've talked to Jeremy already about the Star Wars movies, and we reminisced the experience of this movie as being cinematically soul-crushing. Mm, and that's where I have to start with this I, I am a Star Wars fan I love Star Wars but I cannot sugarcoat anything, any of my feelings for The Phantom Menace and maybe it is because I love Star Wars so much that I dislike this movie so much but before I even get into it before I even get into the plot breakdown I will say this I hate this movie as much as I love Star Wars what do you think of of episode 1, The Phantom Menace
0: Here's my take, in a nutshell As mediocre and banal as I find all of the prequels to be I find The Phantom Menace To be a special kind of awful n- Namely because Not only is it a mediocre movie But it's arguably The greatest disappointment in the history of cinema Yeah.
1: The prequels are here to tell us The story of the origin mm-hmm. Of Darth Vader This is the fall of Anakin Skywalker Mm-hmm. And built into that concept, Bay, we know it's going to be much darker than than maybe we would expect a Star Wars movie to be, and that you know, we've got some something exciting and different to see out of the Star Wars universe. Yes. Added on top of this, we have George Lucas with the gloves off, right? None of the restraints that he suffered making the original trilogies. No, no budgetary issues uh, with the invention of Lucas. Special effects, ILM, THX sound. Yeah. He had every toy at his disposal. And he'd
0: spent decades playing with and developing digital filming technology. To right? get to the point yeah. to
1: make these prequels. So exactly. there was unbelievable anticipation. So much so that maybe it was impossible to meet that anticipation. Because there's so much potential built into it, I mean... Uh, that's one of the
0: reasons it seems such yes. a
1: crushing blow. I've it's... never
0: seen anything like it in the time I've been on this earth. I've never seen nerddom since then, even. Yeah. I've never seen such a huge cross-section of society geek out. Yeah. Holy crap, it was the moon launch of se- uh, of sequels. Yeah, Everybody was watching. It was like Apollo... Uh, Eleven, the yeah. first moon landing. Everybody, whether they were interested in space or not, was watching the moon landing that night. It they probably didn't watch any more after yeah. that. Everyone was excited about this movie, and everyone should have been disappointed. I'm sure there were some who weren't. I wasn't disappointed immediately. I was in denial for a while yeah. after my about first 24 viewing.
1: hours it took for me for it to really sink in.
0: I imagine if you're listening, you've seen it. But yeah. I guess we we always do a plot breakdown. This is the backstory of. Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader, who is, of course, the the well known uh, central villain of the Star Wars villain Universe turn so far, villain come protagonist again at the very end, right? Or not protagonist, but he does. Re- there's an act of redemption for Vader at the end of the entire story, and this is the the preamble to that.
1: Yeah, the idea of somebody's first Star Wars movie being The Phantom Menace is horrifying to me.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, I wouldn't expect. I would expect it to be their last Star Wars yeah, really. movie too
1: <laughs> Interestingly enough, episode one of Star Wars starts in the middle of things <laughs> uh, We have two Jedi's who are coming to settle a trade dispute on the planet of Naboo Who are quickly, uh, you know, betrayed And they find themselves in the middle of a an invasion, a droid yeah, invasion. An
0: interplanetary incident Main Obi-Wan b- Kenobi is one of the two Jedi, and he's the only important one, right? Yeah. The other one... Uh, serves no purpose to the entire narrative of the whole trilogy and is a completely useless and superfluous character, huh? <laughs> he, he need not be named. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. As right. far
1: as getting the business done of setting up Anakin and the fall of Anakin, we don't have any of that business in The Phantom Menace at all. We meet Anakin as a cute, precocious little kid. He's cute now? <laughs> <laughs> I have to believe that Lucasfilm knew as much as anybody else that this was going to be a huge thing. And obviously, you know, they would have searched the planet Scoured the earth to find the perfect young Anakin And it's I think emblematic Of everything that's wrong with this show That this is the kid that they landed on You know That for some reason George just connected with that kid And come hell or high well, I think
0: that George connected with that kid's headshot Yeah Right I think George it he has proven right, himself to be To have become all about the way things look
1: Yeah but I'm not going to browbeat this little kid's performance either. I can't imagine the pressure it, that he None of been it under. is his fault. It's nothing to and do with it. And it's my
0: understanding, this is hearsay, but it's my understanding that he's his life has been kind of a train wreck since then, his young adult yeah. and life is I'm sure is a he's mess.
1: financially stable, but uh, his whole life is something of a punchline. Anyway, uh, it's just, like I said, that's not just the one decision they got wrong, just left, right, and center. Starting mm-hmm. this new epic Star Wars movie with this political dispute, the fact that we we're introduced right away... A
0: vague one that is not only not understood at the beginning of the movie, but, but never explained in any way. It's not important, apparently, even though it's in the title... It's It's in the opening crawl, and then the whole front end of the movie is about this trade dispute with, actually, I'll say something nice. The alien puppets, the Trade Federation guys, I hate the way they sound, but if you turn the sound off and imagine a normal speaking voice or some other kind of, not a ridiculous terrible Japanese voice, (laughs) Japanese-Italian apparently. Again, another
1: bad choice that nobody had the gall to say, hey George... That's yeah those puppets working.
0: look great but they sound terrible yeah. but that's my point they are actually animatronic masks on real actors and I, I applaud that and would have liked to see more of it throughout the rest of the movie and Between the rest not. of the trilogy mm-hmm. which we don't I mean there are uh, there is a higher ratio of real puppets and actors in suits in the first movie to the other two prequels I rewatched the other two prequels after we viewed The Phantom Menace because I was humming and hawing over exactly how to rank a couple of them and i noticed that that they get more computery and less believable looking as you get towards the end the the gungan droid computer battle in the phantom menace looks absolutely terrible but huge chunks of the rest of the movie look good in comparison to the other two prequels they just cuz there are real sets real costumes even real speeders sitting around that they can set stuff down on and interact with instead of just this sterile uh, computer cartoon environment that they're copy pasted into.
1: I, I don't know if it was because uh, they were thinking more for the kids, but I don't understand again another bad choice why they made the decision to change the Gungans and the Trade Federations in the original trilogy, which I spent my childhood watching. Mm-hmm. If uh, I met an alien in the Star Wars universe, it spoke its own language, and I read subtitles. Yeah, I just don't know what was wrong with that. With that recipe, I was able to read and understand that mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah, you know and. Uh, The fact that all of the voices they do choose to use have this weird racial inflection to them? All of the voices,
0: everybody has a ridiculous voice. General Grievous has to sound like crazy. And, uh, I mean, Darth Tyrannus in the second movie, I guess, is the only new villain character that doesn't sound ridiculous. But yeah, there there are a lot more, the aliens all seem more cartoonish in design. Uh, the Trade Federation guys didn't, except for the voice, and, and that was really irritating, because they're terrible. The voices are so bad that it doesn't even matter that the, the animatronic masks are pr- really good, yeah. because you're just rolling your eyes through the whole thing. The whole.
1: I'm not going to sit here and say that the CGI is bad. I'm going to say that it's not convincing interacting with the real people in it. Mm -hmm. I think that this movie makes actors who I know for a fact are capable, strong actors. Natalie Portman can act. Liam Neeson can act. And they come off really bad. Yeah, if you'd
0: never seen them in anything else, you would not ever guess that they are skilled and trained actors but
1: on any given moment they don't know what they're looking at their environment is not there they have
0: that's not true of large pieces of the phantom menace natalie portman is almost always through that movie in a real set yeah
1: but then i think that's when you're hearing the the the, the script screaming <laughs> that's where the real ouch happens <laughs> i don't know what actor could get their head around some of these lines and To be honest, there's some really hard lines in the original trilogy as well. But uh, whether through luck or providence, uh, they were pulled off way better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think part of it, at least, I would say, is that, you know, the actor doesn't, on top of this, have to deal with characters who aren't there and a director who doesn't enjoy working with actors.
0: Not only are they not there, but Lucas can't even show you a picture yet of exactly what it's going to look like when it's finished because he hasn't decided, Mm -hmm. right? like. When you do everything in post and you can't even show the actor, like, this is what you're talking to, you just throw a little sticky Velcro ball up against the green felt screen and say, that's where his eyes are. Yeah. I mean, half of the time the characters are looking in the wrong place when they're looking at Jar Jar. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to say his name. <laughs> we, do we even really need to address Jar Jar, the fact that he's universally hated? I mean, we, Well, I
1: think we have to, just in light of the internet going a little bit crazy lately. Of the
0: Darth Jar Jar theory, which which w- is definitely entertaining.
1: Yeah. I think that this speaks of... Sorry, the, the theory is is that Jar Jar was actually going to be a brilliant character because it was going to turn out to be revealed that he was actually mm. a Sith Lord just playing it cool and undercover. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: I don't know if it's fair to say that the theory is he was going to be a brilliant character. The theory is that George was going to originally use him as a villain who would be revealed later in the story.
1: There was a plaster man in place that would justify the fact that this... And George pretending to be an idiot. And, you know, the fact that he's so lucky and he manages to succeed through luck is, you know, justified in all of this. I think, personally, it's just the the fan base trying like hell to make the prequels better than they are. And, generally speaking, it's just giving George Lucas way too much credit. But, like most things Star Wars, it's fun to wax, (laughs) uh, you know, philosophical about and think, what might have been anytime you're speculating about what might have been, you know, it's just basically fan fiction. And when you're speculating what it might have been with George Lucas, you're almost always gonna come up with something more interesting than Lucas did. Mm -hmm. I think that's the hard truth, the lesson that is learned uh, through these prequels. Uh, I can say a few good things because I haven't said anything good at all. Score is magnificent (laughs) and uh, that last lightsaber battle and basically the concept and design of that Darth Maul character
0: What character? You mean the the Darth Maul stuntman? He's not. I take issue with the term character. (laughs) But he looks. This is my apprentice, Darth Maul. That's all of the character exposition we get. Oh, he's his apprentice, and his name's Darth Maul. Fight.
1: He is badass, and whenever he's on screen, all of a sudden shit's happening. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So I I, I like Darth Maul. I like that last lightsaber duel, and I like the score. And other than that, there's just not a lot positive to say about The Phantom Menace. And it breaks my heart to say it. <laughs> but that's where I wash up on it. Ewan McGregor, I think, is the one cast member who can sort of come up with his head held relatively high.
0: And Ian McDermott. Yeah. Um, who plays the, the sen- Senator Palpatine, who will later be the Emperor.
1: I was genuinely saddened at how not good it was. Like, I was so excited about this movie that I had dreams about this movie absolutely i remember having a dream that i'd seen the movie and it was way fucking scarier than i'd anticipated like some of those aliens man were terrifying <laughs> it, was like, uh, it made me feel like
0: a little kid again yeah, exactly. right like i there, that was my unrealistic and hope was that i thought the movie might do that
1: again i like because of that the movie had such a bar to reach but not only did it not come close to reaching that bar but it's a bad movie when you and i rewatched it the other night like it had been years since i saw it and i was gonna try and come in honest and like give it another pass like it's not quite the thing that i remember it it's just such a punchline. there's no way it could be that bad and it's like, bad it was it was real slog like i <laughs> i've watched some bad movies for this podcast and uh interesting to note about the star wars prequels as much as i love star wars i do not own them yeah and once this podcast is done and we you move don't think on you'll watch them again to the force awakens yeah I'm done with the prequels. Yeah. I cannot imagine a scenario where I will want to put myself through them again.
0: I do have something to say about uh the performance versus the script. And this I I had this thought earlier and saved it for now because we went off on another direction. But we did touch on earlier the lack of chemistry between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman and and the terrible love dialogue in the second movie right. in those scenes on Naboo where they're supposedly falling in love but we can't feel it because Lucas doesn't seem to know how to do that reliably make us feel things is better on the page as you know I, I totally nerded out over this podcast <laughs> and not only did I re-watch the trilogy including two full screenings of The Phantom Menace, once in HD and once on DVD, To compare and contrast the changes, <laughs> of which there were many. For instance, Yoda's a puppet in the original cut and in the 2011 he's Blu-ray the that you and I watched. Yeah. He's not a puppet. He's computer. And he's very good computer animation, so good that when you watch The Clone Wars, you go, Yoda looks like shit. Yeah. He's not, he's, they've out-CG'd him kind of thing.
1: I almost think like he just wants to make animated films. And in a way, he kind of has. Like you say, the deeper into the prequels you go, the more you're just watching a Pixar movie. And he's
0: sitting in a chair. He's, when, when he was shooting those, particularly the third one, which the second and third ones were completely digital. The first one, parts of it were still shot on, on uh, <coughs> celluloid. He would sit in a chair watching his big monitor with his fucking cup holder and his coffee. And he wouldn't even be looking at the actors. He yeah. were over there in this laboratory environment green screen room and he's not even paying attention to them. There's a behind-the-scenes thing for the first movie. Uh, I didn't rewatch the behind-the-scenes, but I've seen them before. Where the director of photography is sort of briefing with Lucas before they start shooting. And and Lucas says to him, yeah, sometimes I forget to, uh, to say action or cut. So if I forget to say action or cut, you just step in and say action or cut. <laughs> so th- suddenly the DP is calling action and cut because the director's too busy, like, checking out the
1: He's much more interested in pushing the technology and the special effects than he seems to be in telling a story and he would say in o- openly in interviews that he doesn't particularly like dealing with or working with actors. No. You know. He certainly so, doesn't
0: understand how to and that's reflected by feedback from actors like Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill who have that being the case s-
1: said though, so why insist on heading the ship here? Why not hire a writer and a director like you did for Empire and for Return of the Jedi? Why not knock on Lawrence Kasdan's door? Well, probably... Well, you
0: know, he didn't write Clone Wars alone.
1: No, he had help. Yeah. Like, he handpicked some guys that he liked that worked on, like, the Indiana Jones. He handpicked, exactly right. And I think he handpicked everyone around him, because that's why no one questioned Jar Jar. No one told him that the story doesn't make any sense. Uh, And, you know, no one told him that if you're going to tell a tragic arc, you need your figure,
0: the central character to be tragic you need to care about him yeah and to begin with yeah lucas needs to be given credit for the created core ideas know. yeah but i mean some of the ideas he came up with were pretty wacky and get refined a lot through ralph McQuarrie's uh character and starship designs and that kind of thing um but yeah you got to give him credit for the core ideas and the, and the galaxy and and all of that that he's created. I've got to give him credit for taking a film crew out into the middle of Tunisia and building starships and giant skeletons in the sand and and shooting that stuff. It must have been a nightmarish ordeal, and he came back with cool footage. But the movie was not great only because of Lucas. And Gary Kurtz was a big part of why it was great. And what Gary Kurtz said later, after the prequels were released, was that he thinks um, he was pretty... Nice about it. He said that he thinks the problem is that there aren't enough... There aren't any people around George anymore who challenge him. And what he... The blunt way of putting that is nobody tells him when his ideas are fucking stupid. Yeah. Nobody will say, hey, George... It's stupid that Anakin made C-3PO. That's dumb and it it serves no purpose and all it's going to do is make people roll their eyes and it's going to break the believability of the universe because every character in the original trilogy has to somehow tie into this story. It's wrong. It's the wrong way to approach things.
1: And would he hear that and would he receive it? And that's sort of part of the unremarkable sort of story from, you know, he comes in as this Hollywood outsider and he doesn't want any feedback. He doesn't want any influence. And yet his work is better when he has the feedback and the influence. Art
0: through adversity, right? Yeah,
1: and now that he is the system, he is the top of the pyramid, he is running the show and calling all of the shots, mm-hmm. and no one dare question him. You're a very creative person, George Lucas, but you have proven to not be a filmmaker, and certainly not a writer.
0: No, it's too bad. The movies are still great, but it, anybody who does an honest analysis of them has to come to the conclusion that It's in no small part due to people like Gary Kurtz, uh, like Ralph McQuarrie, like Irvin Kirshner, like Lawrence Kasdan, that those movies that are Ridge Tridge is is brilliant most of the time. Uh, And George needs to get his credit, but I think in his mind Star Wars is his creation and all of it is him and everybody else helped realize it, but... I think some of those guys were in on the core level of creating Star Wars, as much so as Lucas. The sound design, the, yeah. like, yeah, all of that stuff deserves as much credit as, as he. In reading the script, I notice his character descriptions will just be like, and now we meet Brip Dingot,
1: yeah.
0: a Traxlan, that's yeah. it. And and when he writes it, he just thinks like, oh, well, we'll figure we'll out figure what he out. looks like later. Don't and then he that. hires a room full of artistic designers and says, I want uh, a sort of dino lobster, yeah. which is how he described one of the monsters in the script from the big gladiator scene. He's just mining other people's ideas, and he's set up the, the whole Skywalker Ranch system to do that, mm-hmm. right? Take artistic ideas of others and stick them into a melting pot and then mine them for his Star Wars movies, at least... That's what it feels like watching those behind the scenes (laughs) clips. I'm speaking as though I know the man's mind, and I don't. I
1: I, like we. I I guess we didn't really get that deep into the plot or into the like. We just sort of railed against, you know, our disappointment of the experience of the prequels. Mm -hmm. The cold hard facts are: the performances are not strong, the script is not strong, the story doesn't have any momentum.
0: Or make any sense. The
1: character that uh, we're supposed to anchor with that's going to be the center of the series, Jake Lloyd, is irritating and his trajectory is more based on him being in the right place in the he right He doesn't time. have a
0: trajectory. He, his character doesn't change in any way. He no. doesn't learn anything. All he does is we meet him 45 minutes into the movie until we meet the supposed protagonist and then he learns nothing and he doesn't even understand the events that are taking place around him because he's eight.
1: And he destroys the droid battleship out of By accident. Yeah.
0: Even though... We're going to go back to talking about the movie, and you might have to edit later, but Qui-Gon believes in this kid so much that he puts him in this racing pod and bets the whole safety of the Naboo civilization on this kid winning a pod race in a hovercraft that goes 400 fucking miles an hour, right? And he believes the kid can do this, because the kid says he can do it. And then at the end of the movie, the kid sits down in a starship and Qui-Gon tells him, sit there. And then he accidentally flies it and wins the battle. I wanted to see Qui-Gon say, Anakin, get up there and fight. Yeah. And then An- Anakin flies up there and without saying anything silly or goofy or funny for the kids, yeah. he just goes up there and flies a wicked space mission and has a battle and wins. Because he's supposedly, according to Obi-Wan in the original movie, the, the greatest God. star pilot in the galaxy. Yeah. And he's been he says at one point he's been flying since before he could walk. Yeah. So let's see that happen. Let's see him get up there and kick ass and instead he accidentally wins the day.
1: The whole pod race sequence is pointless. Why Qui Gon would do that? There's a like as we discussed when we watched it, there are a thousand easier ways for them to solve their problem with their spaceship. He uses the next. Jedi
0: mind trick to t- trick all sorts of people. So yeah. Lucas makes this plot device that oh well the the Watto guy can't be Jedi mind tricked. His race is immune to it. Okay, we'll go down to the street to any one of the other hundred vendors in the city and exchange your currency so that Watto, so that you can give Watto the kind of currency he wants. Use the Jedi mind trick to convince someone else to do it. Easy I mean, and breezy. That's not as
1: exciting as a you know a, a huge race sequence, and definitely the movie needed an action scene. But there was no stakes to that. We knew how it was going to end. I would
0: have much preferred they just hired a smuggler to get them back to Coruscant, sound familiar? And then action happens that has to do with fucking Star Wars instead of the pod race. In lieu of the pod race, how about we go back to the story of Anakin and and we find out more about him? Anakin's, one of his big motivations for turning to the dark side, ultimately, spoiler alert, is that uh, his mother's a slave, right? He and his mother are slaves, and Qui-Gon... In, as part of the crazy bet with, with the his owner wins his freedom but isn't able to win his mother's freedom ten years later Anakin seems to suddenly remember oh yeah, oh, yeah I have I'm a mom slave. and she's a slave I should go rescue her what, is, what does slavery mean on Tatooine oh. Watto doesn't seem to be able to control these people's decisions they have autonomy to do just about whatever they want go wherever they want there's all sorts no of wonder worm- he didn't go back to rescue yeah. her for 10 years
1: there's there's all sorts of wormholes that you can crawl into in the star wars universe too mm. droids being a very problematic one yeah droids seem to be something of a slave race as well yes and sometimes they seem sentient and sometimes they're not sometimes they're machines sometimes they're personalities or are they programmed personalities
0: obi-wan at one point said says well if droids could think we wouldn't be here anyway would we but But they they certainly seem, R2 can reason and logic and make plans. And if
1: droids can't think, why did they have a scene where Princess Amidala gives that Droid and An award? Well, that's pretty stupid for so, so many reasons. Because yeah. the Phantom Menace fucking sucks. And why do
0: droids feel fear? I mean, yeah. that seems like wow. a tremendous amount of time to waste for programmers to be writing complex fear algorithms. My friend Chris, shout out to Chris because I know he's a fan of your podcast. Uh, props to Perth, Australia. Yay! Yay! Um, he uh, he asked me, okay, what are some scenes you liked about this movie? when we were talking about it, so I forced myself to think and we, you mentioned the sword fight, elements of the sword fight are good I always get angry when Obi-Wan doesn't use his super run to catch yep. up and help Qui-Gon because they establish early in the movie that he can run at Mach 2. And why on earth they did that only to not use it at a critical moment later baffles me. But I like the rest of the fight and when Qui-Gon is, is run through by the lightsaber and Obi-Wan gets so angry, that's the only time I come close to even feeling, feeling anything. Something. It's like, oh, I think I felt... oh, no, I didn't feel anything. But it's close. I have come to enjoy Qui-Gon's ridiculously complex bets with Watto. At at first (laughs) I just found them irritating, and now I find them to be Benny Hill sort of madcap. I liked the elements of the scene where Amidala and her guards storm the palace. I wish it wasn't Amidala, because she's like a 14-year-old kid. But they were real actors in a real set, holding guns and actually shooting at stuff instead of just cartoon armies so that was nice and i i also must admit that i liked that that the tuscan raiders go to the races and shoot at the pods yeah. it was like they're they're kind of the the uh, southern rednecks of <laughs> Tatooine, right? they on, on the weekends, they go down to the NASCAR race just and take pot shit. shots at shit and drink beer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I like that they're just sort of like implements of the random. <laughs> and I would chaos. have liked yeah. that,
0: that little moment of comedy would have been fine because it wasn't mixed in with life or death action. Yeah. And so many other times in the series, and it's really bad in the first movie. There's. All sorts of bl- of destruction and death happening and then we'll cut away and there's a fart joke. And yeah. then we cut back and somebody something heartfelt is supposed to be happening, and then we cut back to another fart joke, and then Jar Jar's dropping something in the middle of a fight. The the pacing is ridiculous. I I don't think we've got to touch on the fact that the in the Phantom Menace is weird. Well, in the Phantom Menace they get to four concurrent Action plot sequences, yeah. sequences going on at the climax of the movie there's one in star wars two in empire three in jedi and in phantom menace there are four going on you've got amidala storming the palace you've got the uh, space battle where anakin accidentally wins uh <coughs> jar jar. pardon me you've got jar jar's big fight and and you've got the jedi battle between the two jedi and and darth maul yeah. all going on at the same time and impossible to edit ben burt uh there's footage of him trying to explain to lucas how it's just impossible to make these four separate narratives twist around each other and be coherent and not emotionally everywhere yeah
1: and the, the it is very abrupt even not in action sequences like they'll be the scenes seem to start and end very abruptly it's almost like yeah i like you get the sense that they're playing and editing like they're reshaping we can move this scene here and this scene there and then because like sometimes like even a dramatic moment will happen and they won't let it sit in they won't give you time to punch just, next scene
0: yeah well it's not about the characters right it's about the plot yeah. and that's the difference between it that's the core difference i can identify between it and the original trilogy is that the uh, Kirschner and and markand and Kasdan and those guys and lucas seemed to understand more about storytelling then than he does now they focused on the characters particularly kasdan and the later filmmakers on empire and jedi it was a tight little character story set in this sprawling believable world but the prequels were about the sprawling believable world and the characters were just little dolls moving around in it and that's why it feels so cold and detached i think it i i i'm in, in an effort to deal with the fact that these fucking things exist and always will these movies these movies which are a pox on the Star Wars. In an effort to deal with that, I've come to try and think of them as being like George Lucas's Silmarillion, where instead of developing characters, he just lays out a series of events that took place before the Lord of the Rings. You know, and there's no effort to make it narratively uh, coherent. It's just a bunch of stuff that happened. Terrible. It
1: sounds like heresy for, like, a true Star Wars fan to say, we're like, we're on the cusp of a new age of Star Wars. There's going to be... M- <clears throat> In ten years, there'll be more Star Wars films than exist right now. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be able to do another six episode, or another episode of six Star Wars In movies, six years. quite soon. <laughs> uh, and I believe that worst case scenario, they're going to be better than the prequels. But mm-hmm. my act of heresy or sacrilege to the Star Wars fans is, I think that the prequels could and maybe should be remade. I think the best thing for the Star Wars universe is George Lucas's removal from it.
0: The fact remains that he directed and created one of the most important films in the history of, of our civilization so yeah. far. And that can't ever be taken away from him. But he really he did prove to the rest of us... He will always have Star Wars. But, but the, the rest of those really... I think sad is the word you used that, that I hadn't really thought of the movies as sad before so much as irritating and they made me angry. But yeah, it's a little bit sad to think about how wrong he got it.
1: I was getting angry. Well, Even though he won't admit it,
0: and uh, you see him rationalizing it to his colleagues, I, I think on some level he must know that he, he didn't do them justice. Yeah. He didn't do Star Wars justice. If he doesn't know that, then maybe that's a good thing for his own mental health. But it must. I would, it would bother me yeah. if I were George Lucas. If I were George Lucas, I would have made very different decisions, but it would bother me for sure.
1: I sat through a Star Wars movie the other night with one of my best friends. And I did not have a good time. In fact, I was irritated and aggravated. Your leg was shaking. I had to ask you to
0: stop shaking your leg. because I was getting
1: antsy from it. It was like the polar opposite of the experience of watching Star Wars as a kid. Where I was just so amazed that this fucking thing existed. I watched
0: it every day when (laughs) I got home from school for ages.
1: And that's why I say the the love, the elation that I felt watching it. This is the polar opposite. As much as I love Star Wars, Hmm. that's how much I hate Phantom Menace.
0: Star Wars had a formative influence on my taste in entertainment and music and interests in a way that Phantom Menace didn't really affect my life in that way other than it just made me mad and it was a big disappointment. Everything Star Wars breaking was introduced in this movie. Midichlorians were introduced in this movie, the bacterial life forms which caused the Force. I think I know why he was doing it. He needed an objective way to measure somebody's force power so that the council would think this is the chosen one because they wouldn't just take Qui-Gon's word for it, right? Qui-Gon's got a feeling. I think this kid's strong with the force. They needed a way to, like, blood sample. This kid's the chosen one. Anakin made C-3PO. You've got all of these ridiculous plot holes, right? You've got that Owen Lars is Anakin Skywalker's (laughs) brother-in-law. I hate the battle droids Mm -hmm. and they're one of the biggest problems with the entire prequel trilogy is not once do do you ever sense that the Jedi are in danger when there are battle droids around
1: they're swinging around their lightsabers they don't even know what they're swinging at they
0: make stupid little cartoon noises they're designed ridiculously (laughs) Dumping, 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 dumping.
1: Philosophical question, Ari Star Wars. Fuck Mary, kill the Star Wars universe.
3: <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd have to. It's a toss-up there between her and Amidala, of course, yeah. because you know they're they're. There's only platonic. two female characters yeah, I mean, of any bright. note in, in in the
1: whole. Yeah, I
3: mean, unless you're into Baru or something, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Fuck Leia.
3: Um uh, no that fuck Amadala, Mary Leah, and Fuck Amadala, Mary Leah uh, and
1: and kill, uh, uh, kill Jar Jar. Well, yeah. of course I, mean, I that's think gonna that's gonna, be, gonna Mary... be the popular answer. Yeah. <laughs> See on um, and Review we ask the hard questions. Yeah.
2: You know what? Um watching it again, I it's just you, you see where luke is so whiny and then i mean so anakin just kind of erases himself from that so kill <laughs> absolutely kill you'd kill luke um i mean, anakin oh
1: uh, anakin yeah. i mean
2: yeah sure it was stopped yeah. all the problems but um yeah i just he, he's just he's whiny uh he'd he never redeems himself no. um so yeah i would definitely i would kill, kill anakin.
1: anakin skywalker all right
2: yeah um obi-wan pretty dreamy in this one i gotta say fuck
1: yeah, yeah. No, I'd put them with D.U. McGregor, for sure.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Um, and let's see, for Mary, uh, that's, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with Boba Fett.
1: Boba Fett.
0: I would marry R2. R2-D2, right? I mean, he cooks, he cleans. <laughs> Probably not overly demanding. I think that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, robosexual marriage was all right depending on what system you were in but R2 and I would find a nice system to settle down in right, I mean he never argues he's a problem solver you know, he can probably store all sorts of things right, just follow you around, do whatever you want no feelings, you can't upset him, right I think
1: the beeping would get out, it would be like being married to an alarm clock how's
0: that different from a woman? (laughs) just constant noise (laughs) I sound terrible (laughs) You were the one who asked me marry fuck kill, yes. okay? So you're gonna marry R two D two? I'm gonna marry R two D two, fuck. I think Han and Chewie, yeah, right? Of them. Yeah, I think so. Well, pff, it's a package deal. Yeah. Right. Somewhere in the Millennium Falcon, there's a jacuzzi tub, and if you find that jacuzzi tub, I think Han and Chewie have some fun in that jacuzzi tub. It's like the
1: they they they. Flew some long hours. You know? yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's the space version of, of uh, Hugh Hefner's Grotto, right? If you <laughs> ride on the Falcon, you've been in the hot tub. Yeah. yeah. Sure, yeah, probably Han and Chewie, because I think Leia, I don't know, Leia and Padme and everyone, all of the women in Star Wars are so cold and distant that I think if I were in Star Wars world, I probably would just go gay and just go for it. Right. right? I mean, you got every species under the sun and whole galaxy to explore why limit your uh (laughs) why why limit your prospects i guess so Han and Chewie and kill i i I would uh i would kill Anakin Skywalker obviously yeah Yeah. but only only Jake Lloyd Anakin Skywalker now again I, i don't even like using his name because obviously i wish no ill upon Jake Lloyd the person right but i i would specifically want to kill eight that year iteration. old anakin skywalker yeah. i'd wait until he was in the middle of saying something really annoying yeah and then i'd like frisbee a circular saw blade right into the like middle of his mouth <laughs> and take the bottom of his jaw off and then just while he's standing there stunned i would laugh and, and point and he'd gurgle and start crying a little bit <laughs> and looking at me like why did you do this and i'd be like because you're fucking irritating and you raped my childhood you yeah. asshole." I hate it when he does that. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the Council. You don't need guidance, Anakin. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. The boy has exceptional skills. His
3: abilities have made him arrogant. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, (laughs) milady.
2: A bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a
1: clone army! Wait! We must stop them before they're ready. Your clones are very impressive. They'll do their job well.
0: Blast! That's why I hate flying!
1: This is a crisis. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. (laughs) Uh, The story, in quotation mark, mainly seems to be dealing with Obi-Wan's sort of discovery of the clone army. And the uh, treachery of Count Dooku, Mm -hmm. and split between the, I say tenuously love affair, (laughs) (laughs) between uh, Anakin and uh, the former princess of Naboo. Apparently, pardon me, the former queen of Naboo. Apparently, they elect their queens, Mm -hmm. and they only do uh, a few years before they can be kicked out. So they carry the planet of Naboo. Elected a 14-year-old girl to call the shots during wartime. I'm just going to throw that out there.
2: They didn't know it was wartime yet, though, right? uh,
1: It really does seem like they decided, yeah, well, she's not a queen anymore. <laughs> just like a very sudden retrofit. But anyway, those are the two main thrusts of the story. We've got this sort of romance happening in one corner, and we've got, again, in quotes, intrigue happening in the other. Dun- it's two hours dun- and 20 minutes, and until recently, I believed it to be the worst of the prequels.
2: It was very long. <laughs> so yes yeah, and um, painful
1: i don't know that i think that it's the worst of the prequels anymore but i still think it's pretty weak uh but by all means i want to get your thoughts on this where do you land on attack of the clone um
2: uh, i think some of it was triage after phantom menace <laughs> so they sort of realized that what they were running with maybe they should put down and back away <laughs> from um yeah it was kind of interesting because when i watched it again i i watched it from the whole perspective where I didn't have it put up on a pedestal. I was going to be analytical and I wound up liking parts of it that I didn't think I would. Um, Also I was paying more attention. So some of the story plot lines that I realized that they were just kind of hoping you would understand that they didn't really spend a lot of time on made more sense watching it um, over. One of the, one of the things was uh, Christopher Lee is this amazing actor. Um, he He has this just personality
1: presence is very strong exactly
2: and what i loved about it was he's the bad guy he's the bad guy and then he's interrogating uh obi-wan or is he you know like it was just sort of i kind of i like that because if anyone could have spun that character around it was christopher lee
1: it's the closest thing to complex that we get is the confrontation the first confrontation between dooku and obi-wan
2: yeah basically and then you sort of see like how well he is able to spin people and then, when if Obi Wan hadn't been on that one planet overhearing what was going on, you could totally see how it would all play out beautifully. And I get, well, you know, it's that whole level of politics, right? It's spin, it's propaganda, yeah. um, and you really sort of see it in action in this movie. And I, well, I paid attention to it in a way that I hadn't seen before. So
1: Hayden Christensen takes a lot of shit for these movies, and, and rightly so. Some of it I do think is deserved, but I do want. <laughs> To pay attention to some of the dialogue. Like, Natalie Portman is an Academy Award-winning actress, okay? And And it felt like a high school play at parts. Actively sucks in these movies. It's not all her fault, though. A, it's the script, and B, it's sort of the delivery. Especially when she's in her queen garb. They have this really bizarre, dry, formal delivery that she gives. And it's just death. There's no life to her performance at all. And you add the layers of makeup and the geisha sort of costumes. Like, we, we don't see a person there.
2: Well, they were trying to get so much through, like, this whole, um, like, they were trying to get this plot out, right? And it became talking heads at points. Um, One thing that you mentioned was, like, it just sort of seemed weird, like, okay, she's not the queen anymore. Um, George Lucas had actually created a bit of a background for Naboo and its political structure on that they are elected positions and stuff. She says that she wasn't the youngest queen that was ever elected. It makes sense that they sort of have this innocent um, representing them even her makeup style was based on um the, sp- the the lip and the cut down it yeah the red lipstick is supposed to represent the cut and, which is uh the plight the suffering of their people and stuff so i mean like there were little details like that that i thought were really quite interesting and it kind of made sense why they would have but had do we someone take so young and in some... do we need to Ex- exactly you need to, to you do it. you absolutely do and like i said watching it again i was looking for that um but yeah, it was. I'm uncomfortable with him. the idea
1: or the thought that, you know, this movie's too smart for us. Because like, <laughs> I, I just think that's giving George Lucas a little bit too much credit. He had
2: 20, 25 years or something to work on these movies, so I think he came up with a lot of stuff in his head, and he just assumed everybody else had picked up on the things that I'm he was sure, thinking of. He yeah, had right?
1: lots of thoughts and ideas and, and things that came and went in his brain. But oh, they what made it well. on the page was what, what he did in the two weeks that he took to write the movie before production start. Yeah. You know? hayden christensen uh everybody's really hard on him for these movies and yeah i mean he doesn't come off particularly well but for some reason he is like the one that's been like unforgiven as far as this well he was supposed
2: to be carrying the movie with his character right like this whole prequel is about the rise of darth vader um and he had to go from whiny teen which he did very very well (laughs) to you know pissed off teen which again comes across very clearly um but I mean, that's not a protagonist. But it's not supposed script, to be a protagonist. He is
1: unlikable to the point of like transparently bad. It actually makes everybody around him go down several notches. The fact that the Jedi Council can't see how clearly problematic his behavior is, the fact that Obi Wan can't see how clearly problematic his behavior is, and the fact that that the Queen of Naboo is in love with this guy who has been literally obsessed with her since he was eight years old. In the ten years in between, he's done nothing but dream about her and think about her obsessively. Pine, creepy
2: Twilight style.
1: Totally creepy, and yeah. I don't know about you, but for me, if if I've known somebody, if I've watched somebody grow up from they when they were a child, I have a hard time seeing them through a, a sexual lens. <laughs> I, Drew Barrymore is like the classic example of this. She's a very beautiful woman, and she's highly sexualized. But for me, she's a little girl in ET, <laughs> and I don't want to fuck that.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you knew that that had to happen. I mean, that's sort of the whole basis of Luke and Leia's existence, right? I, I mean, understand. They did sort of sort of mesh these oil and water sort of personalities together. Okay, it and... was a
1: necessary plot point. Sell it to me.
2: <laughs> actually, you know what? What's quite interesting in watching it again was I, I was really watching that. Like, what? The, how the hell did they actually fall in love? and the closest I can come is that they're both fairly impetuous they're both like kind of I'm gonna do whatever I want and when you realize that these are people in power since they were kids I mean like you're looking at this guy that grew up being told he's the chosen one and then you have this queen of Naboo where you're too good at your job we're keeping you as a senator you can't turn us down and she's supposed to be heading like the official opposition to all of this stuff I mean and they're they got their hormones going and crazy and stuff like that? they're
1: completely diverse. Like, they're completely different. Uh, she doesn't seem to... As the movies progress, doesn't seem to have a lot of trust in the Senate, whereas he completely trusts it. And uh, just his general dickish behavior. He is... Recently, I did a review of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, with my friend Susie. And uh, I had a real... I mean, I love the movie, but the central female character in the movie I find intensely frustrating, to the point where it actually... It actually hurts the movie in places for me. Uh, This is that to a much, much worse degree. If we can't anchor and like and care about Anakin, the entire emotional arc of this movie doesn't work. If the love relationship between Anakin and Padme isn't so strong that we believe he would tear down the universe to save her life, it won't work. And not to spoil anything, the romance in this movie does not work they do when- talk
2: about feelings a lot which is kind of interesting because you're a jedi you're supposed to control those feelings but by the way trust your feelings yeah. like they say that throughout the entire movie repeatedly you will tap into your power once you trust your feelings but by the way you're a young dick don't forget <laughs> that that happened so much through the movie it was frustrating obi-wan is constantly telling my young paduan you my book and then yoda actually does it to obi-wan later where he's like, "You know, you are also young is sort of like, and I'm like, is that just how the jedi work? they just they they have just this highly honed condescending power. I think that that's their strongest power yeah. is that of condescension
1: what's another one of the great sins of the prequels? I think that they take the awesomeness out of the jedis in the in the original trilogy, the Jedis were amazing. there was only a couple of them, so to be fair. <laughs> yeah. but uh the jedis were these amazing not to be fucked with figures, and in the prequels. They are these political instruments that are completely ineffective and easily duped. I had and they to remember die like punks by the way. <laughs> yeah, I had to,
2: I had to remember though, that basically in the structure that we hadn't seen in the original trilogy is that they were supposed to be like these monks and enforcers mm-hmm. and stuff. And they had been trusted with that for generations. Like what did they say? Like a thousand generations. If you go back to the lore and I'm like, yeah, of course that's going to make them feel entitled and whatnot. And just assume that everybody else is little peons and they're the ones that are important um and so they're like i see that that's sort of where some of the infighting comes you know they don't see anything else as a threat other than the possible dark side but you know we took care of that but this guy i don't know if he brings back the dark side and i didn't really see the dark side as being that big of a threat in the first and second movies until they made it a threat you know like that was
1: they're constantly saying things like i sense a, a plot to destroy the jedi we must move quickly and then not doing anything. <laughs> but you gotta meditate on that <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Jedi styles. <laughs> um, okay, so I think we've re- well covered the romance side of the the story. And, Have we? Uh, m- I think we should somewhat. just sit
2: here awkwardly staring at each other. Yes. Well. Because I mean, that means romance. If
1: they took the lesson that we wanted less Jar Jar, they definitely got that. We got like 35 seconds worth of Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah. Like microscopic in this in this movie. But unfortunately... Even Padme
2: cuts him off at one point yeah. where he's like, oh, I'm so proud of being here. You just, you trust me. And she's like, I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta go. I gots to go. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for you, Jar Jar.
1: <laughs> it's a... true, but... Ugh. Uh, but unfortunately, Jar Jar has been replaced with some of the tinnest dialogue I have ever heard Written in on
2: napkins, life. yeah. It was... the
1: exchanges between Anakin and the Queen on, on on Naboo. I come from a place that's all dry and coarse and where you're from is all soft and green. I seriously wanted to punch the fucking wall. <laughs> I was like, really? It's everybody on, on wall. set. Everybody on set was okay with this. <laughs> right? Like
2: They were just happy to be there. I, God. <laughs> They're just standing damn, there in their crew jackets. That smiling. is
1: frankly embarrassing though. Like I I cannot think of a big budget movie with worse dialogue than the prequels.
2: It's really funny because what I got from it, um, I, I wound up, like, you know, searching the YouTubes and stuff for additional things that I had heard were, that were cut out of this. Right. And uh, Padme's family is actually uh, some scenes that were filmed, but then they cut them out. They were supposed to like you know humanize her, and which is funny because she's supposed to be the most human of all of them, essentially. and
1: She talks like a robot.
2: Yeah, it was just kind of funny. And then these cutout sort of scenes, it was just terrible. It reminded me of Game of Thrones, actually, just <laughs> the heavy, you know, like, again, the looks and the, the whole style of it. Um, but yeah, it was it was incredibly painful to watch, but I think that we're watching a teenage romance. It's going to be painful regardless. I
1: think they could have done. That. I think it's fair to expect a little bit better than that. Um, and then we go to the other plots, that neither of which, well, I'm not going to say they don't make sense, but I, I, I'm a little bit vague on. There's a continued attempt to assassinate Natalie Portman's character, which I'm not fully on board with understanding because they also need her to call the Senate to make it okay that they employ this clone army. So I'm not quite sure where, where the plot point makes when it's why they were trying to kill her, when they still needed her, what miscommunication was happening there. Uh, when Django Fett kills the assassin just before she's about to give that the information. Ridiculous. Why didn't he just kill the Jedi?
2: I actually really had an issue with that. Because, I mean, you're supposed to, like, if, if you're this amazing assassin, you're supposed to, like, basically cut all ties. Like, you know, clean up all loose ends. He had a and you left huge, huge, heavy, like, loose ends right there. Yeah. That was, uh oh.
1: You'll have to clear path for them to follow. And, uh like you had a clear shot you you killed her and escaped and without he flew them even...
2: away he but... could have just crouched and stayed in a dark area and they wouldn't have been like oh
1: he could have at the very least killed obi-wan outright right then like no problem and didn't and like there's lots of little things like that the whole obi-wan finding the the clone army that would or was ordered by a different jedi who would die
2: who was paying for that by the way yeah like seriously and like, 10 years or something on Camino, and like these people they were just like, oh, we're happy to help. Come see, come see what we've grown for you. Like who was who funding that? Like,
1: the entire planetary system was somehow hidden from the records. Like I don't know, a lot of the, that plot it just doesn't make sense. But what I will give it is that when it finally reaches its apex, And there's this sort of gladiatorial combat where they're going to execute Jedis. And uh, the way to execute Jedis is to send these big, mean space monsters to come gobble them up, sort of Rancor style. (laughs) I mean, it was silly, but it was closer to the Star Wars universe than the movie had reached anywhere else in the movie. And we're almost two hours in at this point. Uh, I like the design of the creatures, and for the most part, I like the action sequence. It was you know, an action sequence that took place in the Star Wars universe and you could sort of enjoy it in a sound-off way. But that's as close to saying anything positive as I can come. On attack of the clones and that ain't enough
2: (laughs) well what i liked about the whole gladiator scene and stuff is it reminded me a lot of like old classic movies and stuff like that it had that grandness and that sort of we're fighting for our life Mm -hmm. um i thought that the monsters kind of cheapened it again it was the whole cgi we're really relying on that but it makes sense that they could kill jedi they can't like jedi can't really control that
1: they were clearly cg but the design was cool i had not seen any of those monsters before they didn't feel the need to bring back the rancor or, 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 you know, do that. Every other step George had made, he'd done some sort of wink to the past. This was new, and it fit in the Star Wars universe, which made it a rare thing in the prequels.
2: You like the gladiators.
1: Well, I like the idea of those monsters. How are you going to execute a Jedi, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is how they've come up to <laughs> execute a Jedi. I don't know. In the
2: end, we need to kill a lot of Jedi. Uh, let's send another Jedi. Good yeah. job! All right, let's do that!
1: <laughs> so. uh, big impactful moments that did, have, did not have impact. When Padme finally says, I love you oh, in the yeah. midst of the chaos. I think I was making popcorn. <laughs> I laughed out loud at like how like the awkwardness of the line and the timing of it. Just like not the right time <laughs> and the decapitation of Django Fett in front of his son. Um, oh, it's like a cutaway moment. That was actually
2: one of the few scenes that I actually really sort of had any emotion towards. Is okay. when little Boba picks up basically the head his of his dad. Because, yeah. like, I realized they were like, oh, yeah, him with the helmet, that'd look awesome. am like, no, his dad's head is still in there. And he, yeah. like, sort of does a little, oh, so sad. And the that was thing that
1: was there, to me, is, like, they're trying to do the seed of, like, why does Boba Fett hate the Jedi? But... I didn't really think that Boba Fett hated the Jedi. I thought he was a gun for hire. I thought he was just a bad That's what I loved about him. That was what made him cool. That's why Once Boba again, much like the retrofitting of Han Solo where they took away the cool, the retrofitting of Boba Fett takes away the cool and it sucks.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, not only that, with the whole cloning of Django Fett, um, we're just gonna use this one guy for everything. <laughs> okay.
1: So basically Boba Fett is everybody in the clone army. Yeah. Or, no, actually, Boba Fett's dad is everybody in the.
2: Yeah, Jango Fett is the genetic template, and I was like, okay, this is such a big production. I mean, you've deleted a planet. Oh, yeah. The maps for this, but we're gonna use this one guy. Yeah. He really good. We lack like him. I mean, I just, I there was just so many. Like, he obviously has some amazing skills and stuff like that, but I mean, he was caught with his pants down when when the whole like uh, Mace Windu shows up and he immediately had a lightsaber at his neck. I mean again also where where is their advanced technology for half this shit? I mean you guys don't have radar? <laughs> you can't tell that like all these spaceships are coming? Uh you can't save Padme from, you know, a childbirth but I-
1: we keep on talking about scenes that hit the cutting room floor. Of all the scenes that hit the cutting room floor, why is there still a scene in the movie where C three PO's head gets exchanged with one of the little uh, attack droids?
2: That whole scene was added on late, and, uh, and it felt like something from a video game. And there was hey, a few parts like that. R two can fly. Well, yeah, didn't you know
1: that? I I didn't, because he hadn't George Lucas thought of it. You don't automatically know
2: that he can fly. It doesn't
1: happen again before or after that moment, but apparently R2 can fly. You know, R2's
2: kind of a dick, though. If you really think about it, half the shit he does is just because he's this little bastard. I
1: think maybe R2 may be the tragic hero of these movies, because there's a line in this movie where Obi-Wan says, if droids could think, we would be none of us here which I guess means droids can't think by that rationale from that line, their pro- personalities seem programmed. The whole...
2: Well, r apparently goes against his programming several times or thinks he's directly told, you know, which again, why... Which like is him? why
1: I say he's the tragic hero. He's the first sentient robot that's going to lead up to a rebellion. Just putting it out there. <laughs> uh, the other big climactic moment that had no weight for me was the big showdown between christopher lee and yoda (laughs) oh my goodness
2: i could not watch that it was a
1: spinning green tasmanian (sighs) devil moving you
2: you know like in a video game where you have the controller and you just mash the keypad and then the thing does something on the screen that's what it looked like he seriously just looked like he was in berserker mode we're gonna spin him a lot and that's his amazing skill
1: what they're going for is you're finally gonna see yoda just off the leash right just (laughs) kicking Jedi ass and being crazy and instead of being awesome it goes full around to the other end and becomes kind of hilarious it's laughable it's uncanny
2: valley is what it is too right I mean I can't you can't believe it and it's gone to the point of absurd and it really made me not like Yoda I mean that was just terrible
1: and again, part of it's just the fact that the prequels, that some of the stakes are hurt. We know nothing's going to happen to Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? We know what's going to happen. He was emotionally
2: Annie. torn down. <laughs>
1: so, I understand you have an uphill battle in creating suspense and stakes. Mm-hmm. But, wow. The Empire Strikes Back, the second chapter of the uh, original trilogy, we'll call it. Easily the darkest, easily the most dour, and I think the best. Um... The second chapter here, I used to think was the worst, but why I don't think it's the worst anymore is because as clumsily as they're handled, story elements flow through to the next one. There is a chain of events that is being set up to lead us to the apex of the story. The Phantom Menace, you could pretty much not watch and start here, and all you would lose was like one decent lightsaber battle,
2: that and fan young ed- Annie screaming, Yippee! <laughs> that fan edit actually basically just shows Qui-Gon die and then goes straight into the second one, which is funny you say that because you don't need exactly what other people have thought. It's just, it's put there because it was shiny. They knew they had three movies and what can we do? Yeah. Um, I just, one thing I really liked about, um, the first one though, is that again, it's stuff that George Lucas just sort of assumed that you knew about how Anakin was created and who like the most powerful really were. Um, I wanted to see more of that. So it was kind of nice to sort of see the Darth Sidious side um, more in this movie. I Maybe it's because I'm drawn to the dark side. <laughs> so, but yeah, just sort of that and how he manipulates Anakin, because if anything, he's the one that can clearly see how fucked up this kid is, right? I mean, and then he's using it to his advantage. He had a purpose, and he's the only one that remained really having a purpose throughout the entire movie.
1: I think there's a missed opportunity for complexity between the light and the dark, you know? All of these light Jedis are very, very, you know... Uh, condescending and pretentious and look down their nose and and to study any element of the dark arts is to somehow corrupt your very essence well it could be interesting like maybe there is a middle ground maybe you don't have to be all light or all dark maybe maybe you can live in the real world where there's good there's bad and there's ugly but in this world, there's no shades of gray. There's good and there's evil, unfortunately.
2: Well, it's funny because Jedi is supposed to be fairly similar to Buddhism and stuff where you're supposed to give up your material possessions. You work in the common good or whatnot. But yeah, like... But yeah, it was just the fact that they were leaving out huge, huge parts of, the, of human nature. Well, attachments yeah, they're not just being humans,
1: discouraged? But. How about this? How about you guys are the Jedi Council and you're a power of good and you believe you have found the chosen one who's going to restore balance to the Force.
2: Or have they? Because well, they seriously no, have massive question marks around their heads. When by they by all they accounts,
1: the science and the numbers and this kid's talent says that is the case. How about not letting his mother remain a slave on Tatooine Or go after her, or any of them, and raped to death by sand people. If you want to keep this kid in your good books, all you'd have to do is not let his mother be a slave and killed by sand people. But they—they are
2: are at odds when they're constantly like, you know, we're not supposed to intervene at people at that level. Qui Gon says that in the first one, I. But he
1: intervenes. But intervenes
2: takes that kid anyways, and blah blah blah. But yeah, it was one thing that sort of got me about that whole you know, how much are the Jedi going to be involved? And then they tell Anakin, like, you know, give up your past life, don't feel and whatever. But he also sees it as if I'm a Jedi and I'm supposed to be filled with its compassion, that I means love, love, right? Yeah. And, but yeah, the, they actually, again, you're supposed to know um, sort of innately that um, Count Dooku has paid the Tusken Raiders. To pick it's not in up. the movie, so we yeah. don't fucking know. That. And th- 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 like I had, I wanted to know about this because I'm like, that just seems so shoehorned in there. And then you read about it, and then it says that he was he paid the Tuscan Raiders, and that's why she was that there would... for a month. She was being tortured to draw Anakin. And that would make
1: sense. See, that would draw Anakin to the dark side. That would be a plot point that would say Dooku is. That caring. would have been
2: so useful to have in the movie, and I only but found it out, and now it makes sense to me because but I had I can't to use seek that it. as a
1: defense for the movie. Because sorry, if it's not in the movie, it's just not fucking there. Right?
2: And that's what really—that's probably my only. Friend frustration is that there was like really good ideas the better ideas were the ones that hit the cutting room floor yeah. <laughs> uh, i think the
1: bullet point is is that you agree with me you're disappointed with the prequels um you... but i was
2: looking really hard for it to redeem itself in yeah. parts which again like why i was looking like why did this happen why but if you have
1: happen? to watch the commentary and read fan fiction and hear interviews in order to fill in these holes to make this make sense it's it still means... what is this heroes <laughs> it means that the movie doesn't work
2: yeah yeah it was very hodgepodged. it was Sort of what you said about like the script taking forever and stuff like that. I feel that some days they were running to the set with the post-it notes. Yeah. You know, here's your dialogue. We'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah, it's we'll just most... CGI. We'll just CGI out these post-its. Then I'm going to stick to the front of you because this is the new dialogue we, we it's wrote. The most
1: manuscript. anticipated, culturally significant film release of the next twenty years. So let's not overthink the script. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, you get your points across. With emotion.
1: With emotion.
2: I am intently staring at you. I love you. (laughs)
1: Genius or mad genius.
3: Best thing he did was come up with Star Wars. The worst thing he did was was not get drop it earlier to <laughs> someone else. <laughs> um, uh, the best thing that has happened is is that it's he's given it to he's passed to the, world. the ball and, along. Yeah, now yeah. it's it's open market and. and so would uh, you say
1: mad genius then? Yeah. Mad genius. Yeah.
3: Well, <laughs> genius yeah. turned mad. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then had a genius m- a move in his madness.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I have nothing but gratitude for creating the Star Wars universe, yeah. but it seems the farther removed Lucas is from it, the better for the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Strange, but true. Yes. Well, as far as I landed, I think he's mad. But I think, you know, he may have become, he may be a monster now, but I think he's become one. There's something yes. about being successful in Hollywood uh, over a long period <laughs> of time. There's the We'll call it the Bruce Willis complex for now, okay? Yeah. If you're too famous for too long, You lose perspective, and I really genuinely feel like that's what happened with George Lucas. Before he was out of school, he was being touted as the greatest up-and-coming young filmmaker, and you know he shared class with people like Francis Ford Coppola and John Milius. Well, and you look at THX, Spielberg, and he grew up in this group of amazing fuck De Palma, amazing filmmakers, and was you know in that group.
0: And then he vaults out of film school with THX one one three eight American Graffiti and Star Wars. Boom! 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 And then what happens? <laughs> right? And then
1: he doesn't make another good film.
0: He clashes with everyone he works with to the point where, and, and he somehow convinces himself that that he's not part of the problem, yeah. right? Everything else is the problem. So what what's my solution? Instead of figuring out how to work within the established system, I'm going to move out into the valley and uh, make my own film industry. Yeah, I, it's an effective isolation, right? Mm-hmm. And so it can happen to you if you're if you're a uh, 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 hermit or a uh, street person or schizophrenic or something and you end up withdrawn and isolated from everybody or if you're so incredibly successful that there's nobody in the world you can relate to you go sort of like uh, um, Hughes Howard Hughes, Howard Hughes crazy, yeah. right? Where you're laying in bed and not trimming your fingernails and won't let anyone in the room because you're afraid of viruses. I mean, Lucas isn't that crazy. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's all comes. The craziness comes from the isolation, and he's isolated by success and by a lack of feedback.
1: Yeah, it's well put in a fairly obscure uh, Alec Baldwin movie called Miami Blues. It's, my problem is I can have anything I want, but I don't know what I want. Mm. <laughs>
2: Mad genius, I guess. Um, Whenever you're given so much power, hmm, Mm -hmm. thematic, um, it can corrupt. I mean, I think that that's, yeah.
1: I do think we've watched the fall from a creative outsider to a studio head, uh, basically. He he sort of thought himself as a, you know, a system outsider. I'm, I'm making these independent movies like no one's ever made. And when he made Star Wars, he was right. But he has not been right since then. (laughs) Well, and people are afraid to tell him so, I think. Absolutely. No one's going to say, you know what, it's really stupid that Anakin's built C-3PO. You really need to rethink that plot point. He was
2: checking with his children about the movie too, right? Like, is this good? Is this good? Because he wanted it to appeal to children, so it comes off childish. George,
1: we scoured the earth looking for young Anakin, and I know you feel connected to Jake Lloyd, but he is not giving us the performance we need on screen (laughs) you know like uh but no one's gonna say that to george no one's gonna say there's some real loud script problems here no one's gonna say are you sure because to be fair it is his universe it's his world to play in and uh, it would be tricky to walk up to george lucas and say i think the script is not there yet
0: lucas's refusal to release high-definition transfers of the original unaltered oscar-winning version of his film star wars in particular but all three of them is a crime against cinema history yeah. and he should be held accountable for it, it when when the library of, of congress created its list of the most uh, important films in american history star wars was among the first 25 inducted yeah right and uh lucas has yet to provide them with a print because they won't accept anything except the original print that was released and, the won, the, and won the award, yeah. won the awards. And, he, won't and he, won't, he, he has declined to send one <laughs> to this day. He, he really wants, and he, there are quotes, you can Google it and find it, of him talking about how in 200 years those other films are just going to be like a curiosity locked away in a museum and people will talk about how they existed. But when people think of Star Wars, these will be the versions they watch. And the interesting thing is, is there have been two other versions since he fucking said that. Because he can't leave his movies alone. He has to now, because he doesn't own them anymore. The Dark Side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. The Council wants you to report on all the Chancellor's dealings. That's treason. We are at war Anakin
3: very dangerous putting him together I don't think the boy
0: can handle it I don't trust him I need your help son I'm appointing you to be my personal representative on the Jedi council you're on this council but we do not grant you the rank of master what Obi-Wan in the council don't trust me <laughs> Learn to know the dark side of the force and you will achieve a power greater than any Jedi. You're under arrest, Chancellor. Are you threatening me, Master Jedi?
1: Alright, Star Wars Episode 3. <laughs> um I guess this picks up the clone wars are drawing to a close. Palpatine has risen to a position of such power that he can't really ascend further without making his final diabolical move. Yes. And it's time to see that final fall, what's going to make Anakin turn completely to the dark side. We've seen him, you know, slaughter a bunch of sand people in a vengeance sort of outburst Uh, over his mother's death. But what's going to make him evil? What's going to turn, you know, that... Precocious little kid who screamed "Yippee!" Yeah. into the most evil, dangerous Jedi in history. Yeah. And um <clears throat> I said when I told you you drew the this episode that you may have got a prequel, but I think you got the best of the prequels. And upon rewatching it, I will stand by that statement. It is clearly, I think, the best of the three prequel films. Yep. Yeah that said i still think it suffers from all of the problems of the prequel films just maybe a little bit less so than the first two yeah. but uh, i brought you here to get your perspective on it where do you land on episode 3 brother uh, yeah i agree that it would be the, the best of the prequels
3: um, and it's a, it's an important uh, chapter because it's 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 how darth vader is born right yeah. and that's uh, it's a story that needed to be told I honestly, like I said uh, to you off-camera, uh, off-mic, um, <laughs> that uh, I, I kind of wish that, that, uh, that at some point that they would redo that, that portion. Yeah. You know, when, once they've established themselves into that, maybe go back and revisit Darth Vader and do it their way and just say, you know, forget about what you've seen. This is the way that should have been and, and do it right. What
1: an epic fuck you to George Lucas that would be, but what a great thing it would be for the fans.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's like I say, it's a really important story, and... and the way it was handled was just not uh, not satisfactory by any means.
1: Okay, so I think for me the main issue that I have with Anakin is not the actor Hayden Christensen which everybody was very mean about. I do think he's like basically cast for looks here. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's what got him the job. But I think a really, really good actor would have trouble choking down some of the dialogue. I don't as a rule do this, but I'm actually going to sample just some of the dialogue in, in the review here. <laughs> just like close your eyes and yeah. imagine, you know, Al yes. Pacino or, 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 or just any actor trying to deliver these lines and, you know, retain any level of dignity. So yeah. we'll do that. but.
2: Annie, I want to have our baby back home on Naboo. We can go
0: to the lake country where no one will know, where we can be safe. I can go early and fix up the baby's room. I know the perfect spot, right by the gardens.
3: You're so beautiful.
0: It's only because I'm so in love. No. <laughs> no, it's because I'm so in love with you. So love has blinded you. <laughs> well, that's not exactly what
1: I meant. But it's probably true. The other major flaw, I think, that is if this is supposed to be the tragic, you know, descent of Anakin Skywalker, he has to be a tragic figure, wherein we should feel bad for him. And that is the essential failure of this story, is that I, agree. I do not feel bad for Anakin. Anakin deserves everything oh. and more that happens to him.
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, for, from uh, allowing Mace Windu to be, be killed murdered. by, yeah, that was the very first thing. And then from there, yeah, the killing of the younglings, and the um, just, I mean, he...
1: Once he agrees to go dark, he is 100% on board. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any inner conflict. Okay, what do I have to do now? I have to kill the little babies, the little kid Jedis? All right, well, that's what I'm doing now. You know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the movie tries to frame it that the woman he loves, he has this premonition, is going to die in childbirth. And uh, he is told in that really unsubtle sales pitch from Palpatine that only a Sith Lord has the power to... Bring someone back from the dead the promise yeah and so what we're supposed to anchor to what we're supposed to say makes it you know a tragedy that he you know because he wants to save his wife every jedi in the galaxy all of these lives these children that he kills these aliens that he kills everybody the whole positioning this clearly evil sith lord in a position of ultimate power in the universe is all justified in the interest of saving one life yeah maybe saving one life and which he fails to do anyway yeah Yeah. (laughs) but uh i like i cannot see the math there he would have to be an incredibly naive stupid person and you're right that's not the character that they set up and he's he's
3: supposed to be you know the 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 highest mediclarian count and yeah
1: yeah and it's you're right yeah yeah it's a it is a huge story flaw they are consistent with the emperor palpatine uh thing in that he is an utter car salesman. Like, his his pitch is terrible and obvious. Yeah. But uh, Anakin sort of takes it hook, line, and sinker. In a way, it kind of redeems Return of the Jedi's really hard sales pitch to Luke Skywalker all those years later. He just figures, well, your dad was a total moron, so I'm just going to assume you are, too. <laughs> I, I'm not going to have to be clever about this at all. I'm just going to lay my cards on the table, yeah, right. and you'll be on board, right? Yeah. <laughs> considering the amount of major events that happened like i say the entirety of the jedi council being wiped out the uh, clones who'd been fighting alongside the jedis for the entirety of the clone wars suddenly turning bloody and malicious and murderous against them yeah. for all of the highest like those things going down didn't feel emotionally connected to it And if you use the excuse, as some of the Lucas apologists have, that these are all kids' movies, if you watch the animated series of The Clone Wars, we are treated to many, many seasons. And my children did watch the show of Anakin having his own Padawan and training her. And in the movie, we see her gunned down coldly. That's yeah. just another one of the people that get killed in that in that exchange. Another one of the lives that Anakin so casually shrugs off. Yeah, right. And uh, again, you don't have that backstory. It doesn't mean anything to you when she dies. She's just another one of many. But I do think that there are little kids in the audience who might have, you know, been really stunned, traumatized by. by that. Yeah, because uh, they've are related with that character, and yeah, you're right. That's uh, that hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> Um the action sequences are the thing that really work for the movie, yeah, yeah, they really did take advantage of the technology and yeah. uh,
3: and uh like I say, beautiful scenes uh, especially um the background the, the the cityscape scenes were phenomenal, yeah, like uh, what they were able to do there in fact that was some of the best parts of a lot of the scenes with uh, Anakin and and Padma you
1: could be distracted by the backgrounds yeah yeah you know you
3: can just kind of zone out what they're what's going on with them because it was terrible yeah um the the chemistry with those two characters uh, they they really <clears throat> i I know you, you got the dialogue and everything makes it and the way that it was all done makes it very difficult for an actor to do his job yeah. and to to also do that and then also have chemistry with your with your leading lady is uh yeah I, in those, in that situation you know I I guess you can't expect that too but they i i think that they needed to have some someone else other than Hayden Christensen in there cuz he had mm-hmm. no i mean
1: I, I just wonder who 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 would that be <coughs> and would they've done better i don't know i don't know like yeah. maybe maybe they could maybe they've said the right the absolute brilliant casting would turn this thing around but I, I, I'm trying to, I'm going to try, because I have said this is the best of the prequels. I'm just trying to say some positive things. Uh, the opening space fight and subsequent Jedi battle that, that starts the movie mm-hmm. has an energy unlike anything we've seen in the prequels so far. There's a real momentum to things that are happening. There's still stupid, ludicrous things like R2-D2 peeing oil on another droid and whatnot, and like <laughs> the weird gravity math of what what's happening on the spaceship, and there's there's... There's silly things to it, but the movie's moving and there's a lot of action. And I'm kind of bemused by the whole general Grievous character, that it's this mainly robot thing that's trying to hang on to this tiny percent of living humanity that's buried way down deep. Um, And uh, I think that the Grievous fight was, you know, pretty cool and, uh, you know, on a pure sort of popcorn visual spectacle. It, it it was it was good and it started there. Yeah. Like I complained about in the Phantom Menace. Like once we got to the big lightsaber battle at the end, I'm like, Yay, the good part! Almost two hours into the movie, we found the good part, right? <laughs> well, in in the this chapter three, this third part, the good part sort of right away. We start in the middle of action and it does engage you in a way that. I don't think any of the other movies then start with their the the, the foot on the yeah, gas in you're right. that way. Right. Right.
3: So I I'll give it points for that. Absolutely. The best thing about the movie was was the uh, yeah the, uh, the well the, the backgrounds the action sequences. I don't know what
1: else more I'm gonna say about the this prequels like. Um, It's way too violent for kids i guess i would put that out there too um there's an inevitability to it the final showdown between obi-wan kenobi and anakin skywalker is spectacularly rendered but there are zero stakes to it we know how it's going to end anakin is going to have several pieces hacked off of him and he's going to be badly burned because he's going to be turned into darth vader that's the whole thing that we came here to plug into and it would be a much more emotionally impactful thing if we felt for Anakin, like we said. But there's a percentage of nah, na na nah, nah. Like, the ridiculous conceit that because Obi-Wan stows away on the ship with uh, Amidala to find Anakin, him seeing Obi-Wan makes him automatically jump to the fact, oh, he's clearly f- sleeping with my very pregnant, you know, fiancé. Because that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. no. no. Nothing makes sense about Anakin's character, therefore no, signif- no no pity for his character, and therefore no tragedy yeah. to his character. Um, and yeah. the much hated, much discussed Darth Vader screaming, oh, that was
3: like the the worst scene in any <laughs> of the six movies. I don't
1: care which one it is. Even if you're going to do that, even if you're going to fall on that dusty fucking trademark of screaming no, this is the most powerful Dark Jedi in the universe. Like, his no should have, like, echoes and repercussions throughout the ship, at least. Yeah. If not, send a dark shiver through the Force, you know? (laughs) You know, we should have seen Obi-Wan Kenobi collapse from it or something. Like, uh, give it it power, because the reaction is... Laughter. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just a, a hollow. Like, it's the moment that the entire prequel trilogy is building to, and, and it is a fucking punchline. <laughs> oh,
3: it's terrible! It's terrible. He, with his arms out, no. It's just like oh, and then you, you, and in my head I was screaming no at the same time. I'm like oh my god, <laughs> having to watch it again. The first time around was bad enough, but having to
1: watch it again, yeah. <laughs> brought it right back, and it was just like, oh, it's terrible, the, terrible. It's the closest of the prequel movies to working as a sound-off movie. If you love the Star Wars and you have a favorite album that you want to play and you have, like, a big-screen TV, you can sort of look at it and imagine it being a much better Star Wars movie than it is. Yeah. If the prequels had started with this level of energy and storytelling, uh, I think that I would feel better about the, the whole series as a, as a whole, but... At this point, it's too little, too late for me. The prequel, the prequel trilogy, is just a wall-to-wall yeah, failure. Yeah, it, for it, me. it
3: needed a, a rewrite very badly before yeah. production went in. It wasn't, it wasn't ready for production.
1: He rushed it. Yeah. yeah. Well, did he? Uh, that's the real thing. Like. They were in pre-production forever, but he, you know, got the script in just under the wire. Like, yeah. It was, I don't know if that was, was laziness he, That's or the real, most
3: important part of, this, of the thing. It right? really is. But what, what, not what,
1: to Lucas, right? The designs, the creatures, the names, yeah. the concepts, yeah. the themes... He'll spend forever on that, and then the script will be this afterthought yeah. slapdash thing. And, and, and I don't know what the problem yeah. was with hiring Lawrence Kasdan to write your screenplay, you know? I don't know what the problem was if you don't like working with actors, hiring someone else to direct. The thing that was made people, or at least me, excited about the prequels before I had the displeasure of watching them was that this is going to be George Lucas, unplugged. No one's going to be telling him what to do. He's got cutting-edge technology to tell the story the way he wants to tell it, and he can tell any story he wants to tell in the Star Wars universe. And he's going to tell us the origin story of Darth Vader. And yeah. this is what we got. Yeah. It's probably one of the most significant events in the history of that universe. Yeah. And until <clears throat> this new Star Wars movie, probably the most anticipated cinematic cultural event ever. Mm-hmm. And... uh I think that in a way he does J.J. Abram a favor in that I think that it's something that, like, there's a lot that's easy to improve upon here. He lowered the bar big time. But he still has to, he'll be able to, he'll be able to exceed Lucas as far as being a technical filmmaker. Because I think I will go on record as saying George Lucas is maybe the most overrated filmmaker in history. I'm not saying he's a bad filmmaker. I'm saying he's an overrated one. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
1: And, uh... Idea guys. I think there's, that J.J. No, Abrams yeah. has already established that he's not that. At the very bare minimum, he's going to make it spectacular. It's going to look nice, and he's going to tell a story that makes sense. And just yeah. by doing that, yeah. he will get us closer to the Star Wars of my childhood.
3: And I think he's more apt to start with uh, with a solid script yeah. and build on that, rather than rather than go the Lucas route with the visuals first and yeah. the script as an afterthought. Which that's that was. Uh, if 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 that if the trilogy had had a better the prequel trilogy had had a better script that would have improved it a hundred percent right there the actors would have had something better to work
1: with and it had no technical limitations the limitations were only in the imagination yeah yeah is there anything else you want to say about episode three brother <gasps> no. no!
3: Just that you. I'm glad that it's over, and I'm yeah. uh, um, still looking forward to the new ones. This is going to be uh, uh, the start of uh, a beautiful friendship.
1: I'm George Lucas felt the need to re-release, and well, make more money, let's be real, uh, by re-releasing the original trilogy with a bunch of augmented special effects, and controversially, some added scenes, and most outrageous to me, of course, the controversial, you know...
0: Solo shooting. Han
1: Solo uh, not shooting first anymore Uh, in the new version. Guido takes a shot at him before before he fires back, thus depriving Han Solo of his edge. (laughs) I would have.
0: I agree with you that that's the most egregious change in the nineteen ninety seven special editions that were released. Yeah, but I haven't seen it. I haven't watched the new Blu Ray cuts of the original trilogy because I don't. I watch the original versions that I have, and I don't. You know, I watch Harmies and I don't even think about the other shit. Um, In that new version, Darth Vader yells no as he picks up the Emperor and throws him down the shaft. No! That's worse than Han shooting second. Oh, really? I think so. I've seen the clip of it. I haven't watched it in the context of the whole film. But talk about taking a moment. I mean, you're talking about a defining moment of the central character of the entire six-film arc. Well, arguably all six films leading to that moment. And then you change it. Well, this is this he's is he's
1: making it rhyme with the prequels. He's making
0: there. it rhyme, but I mean, <laughs> the best way to explain this, I mean, okay, m- let me answer your question. My answer to your question is that they they make me more angry than the prequels do. The really? special editions they are a travesty. It's he, a cash grab, exactly. And like... and
3: and he knows there are people out there that have got these collections that are gonna have to have it because yeah. it's something different that they don't have yet, and it's kind of taking advantage of that, you know, and <laughs> like uh, like the marketing for. Star Wars hasn't been enough like yeah. now these days there's nothing is offline what What? Uh, I don't want to say a brand name but a certain makeup company is doing a Star Wars brand line of makeup yeah and okay well <laughs> like nothing is off limits is my point like I
1: say there'll be, there'll be Star Wars laxatives and Star yeah. Wars urinal cakes <laughs> like anything yeah. you can think of yeah. <laughs> yeah. for me like the special editions it's weird because at the time they came out I was quite excited by them and then uh a lot of the enhancements, like improving upon the special effects, I didn't mind so much, or just augmenting a little bit of the environment, I didn't mind so much. But then there were things that he outright changed. Yeah. Any of those things just didn't ring true to me at all and like yeah. took away from that sacred childhood thing that was Star Wars. I agree. Jabba was a gangster man. Like yeah. he was he was a tough
3: he had a reputation of being a tough a tough bastard, like, you don't, you take don't cross that. Jabba, don't take and, that and there's Han Solo stepping on his tail, going around and making his eyes bulge out, and it's like,
1: Jabba the Hutt would not let anybody do that to him. And it, it's, <laughs> you it's know? all about sort of George Lucas's technical angle, like, he can make it sound better, and he can make it in certain degrees look better, but even now, since, like, the special editions have come out, computer animation has improved. Even now, like, it's starting to look dated. So, yeah. like, does that mean special, special editions? Where does it end, you know? For me, I would much prefer if we just had a, you know, high-def transfer of the original trilogy as they were originally projected. Yeah, You know, warts and all. Because those were the movies that I made me fall in love with Star Wars. So, yeah. I don't think you need the special editions. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find any other version of them right now. That's true.
2: He absolutely outright said... I'm going to go back and fix stuff I wasn't happy with. Yeah. You know, how often does that really work out when you think about it? Almost never. So it's it's kind of interesting that, I mean, watching these movies and like now watching them so I can critique them. I, I guess I you're, you're kind of, anytime you watch something, you critique it yourself, right? But I sort of looked at it in a different way this time where I was like, I can see where he was trying to shoehorn in things. Um, I mean, everyone says, like, when the Tatooine scene, like, it used to be a desolate place, but he tried to make it a bustling metropolis, and then it just, it feels awkward and forced. Mm. So he was using the force, is what I'm... <laughs> no, okay, that was terrible. <laughs> well,
1: I don't know if he was trying to please all of the fans, or if he was just trying to please himself. That's the really mystifying thing here, because the bending over backwards to include C-3PO and Boba Fett and all of this yeah, other stuff, yeah. uh, I think, you know really extraneous to the story that is being told here and as much as he thinks he's winning points with the Star Wars fans, in a lot of ways he's just taking the teeth out of characters we love.
2: It was a heavy-handed trying to link things. Um, And he, in other interviews and stuff that I've seen, he even comments on that, like because of the way they did this one thing, it influences this character's behaviour in the originals. And you're like, well, did you really have the story that fleshed out? I don't think so. (laughs) What
1: do you, what is your hope for The Forcer Awakens?
2: I've tried not to really think about it. <laughs> I've loved before mm-hmm. and have been hurt.
1: Absolutely. I am right there with you, Dorian. Yeah. I was so excited about the Phantom Menace. I literally had dreams of anticipation <laughs> in the weeks leading up to Phantom Menace. No bullshit like uh, I was so excited about it and I was really really stunned by how disappointed it was so I'm right there with you again that's also
2: us expecting a lot and because like for me I mean I used to read the extended universe stuff Um, I loved a lot of the story plot lines it explained a lot of things that went on which I really liked because like me other people wanted to know more so they wrote more and some of it was actually accepted as canon so I had a pretty (laughs) high expectations for it and i know everybody else did and you know to go and see something and then you're seeing someone else's vision right it wasn't what i went in there hoping to see um i would have done it differently i don't i didn't build it
1: maybe my reaction was too severe because i hated the prequel movies when I resaw them. I didn't even see the third one in the theaters.
2: And you made yourself watch them again?
1: And I made myself watch them again <laughs> all these years later. These are one of the few movies that I've reviewed for the podcast that are not on my wall. Yeah. I Like, I had to acquire... You had to look films. for them. Uh, I, I, like, I was really, like, hurt by those movies, yeah. for lack of a better word. For me, I mean, other than uh, I want... It To be good enough that it somewhat salves my wound of the prequels. I really feel doing this podcast has really reopened the wound. Like, these really do stick in my craw, these prequels. But the other thing is that when this movie comes out, my my boys will be 8 and 11 when The Force Awakens comes out. And for me, my big wish for it is that...
0: It will ignite some love. It
1: ignites some love in Star Wars for them. Because right now, my boys are more excited about Star Wars Lego than they are about Star Wars... Yeah, and uh Lego's pretty. awesome It's pretty awesome. Don't get me wrong, and, and like I get it, but I would love to be able to share Star Wars with them, the way I remember it as a kid, and that's my big hope. But it's a tall order to ask of J. J. Abrams. Yeah. But I am confident that it will at uh, it'll at a bare minimum
0: be solid. I predict that a hundred years from now, when everybody who saw Star Wars in the theater is long dead, mm-hmm. young adults will watch. Star Wars, all of these movies, and they'll go... And I, I really do think that the original trilogy will stand the test of time, and people will say, wow, those computer effects look really weird. Why, like These models, man. Yeah. It was 1977. My great-grandfather was born in 1975. This is amazing. How did they do this? I bet nobody had ever seen anything like this before. The way when I look at a picture of the first you know ferris wheel yeah. or something right or when i think about what it must have been like for uh, for people to see the very first movie ever projected on a wall yeah that's the kind of awe that they're gonna have for wow wh- look at this thing and how it changed this art form that we've been studying now film will be a couple of hundred years old someday yeah and people will look back and star wars will be like the f- fifth touchstone on the on the history of film if you pick in really major ones it's it's up there and in, in oh yeah so it's
1: bigger than all of us it's it's its own thing
0: <laughs> and i think even after all that time people will be able to look back and identify those three movies as the ones that really make it the cultural phenomenon that it is and that the other movies are some sort of weird extra material I mean I, my, my uh, Chris who I mentioned earlier we like to think of them as fan fiction or like the Silmarillion right yeah. just uh, you it's know. there if you want it but so he it, has it's this it's all he has the, this theory the that uh, that the prequel trilogy is actually imperial propaganda trying to make the Jedi appear incompetent right this is like if you're in Star Wars time, la- time frame the first movie and uh, you went to the library and took out a history book on on the fall of the old republic the prequel trilogy would be what you'd read and it would paint the jedi as being a bunch of incompetent (laughs) fools etc etc it's a charming idea i don't think it's the case and neither does he but it's kind of cute star wars as of a week ago had already made the Force Awakens over fifty million dollars. Oh, it's
1: going to make money. That's not a question. So that's <laughs> that's not a question. My,
0: my first hope for Star Wars is that it makes Disney a thousand bathtubs full of a thousand thousand dollar bills each. <laughs> right, like that's what it's going to do, uh, and and the new model is going to prove profitable, and people are going to continue making good Star Wars movies. That's assuming the new movie is good. I'm aware that it could be disappointing. I could walk out of it thinking. It's all Star they Trek did was 3. all they did was stick Tie Fighters and X Wings up on the screen and, and w- w- put some different colors on them and expect me to think it's Star Wars. Yeah. The world is so rich, and the expanded universe is part of it. I was never big into the books, but I understand that part of the breadth and depth of the prequels is based on the fact that there was already there were thousands of of books and fan written things and comics and stuff out there, all informing it that's part of why some people like them more than others is i didn't know all that stuff but uh with with so many more minds contributing and adding into this universe i think there's some good star wars to come and i don't think we have a whole lot more uh you know terrible cartoons about the droids or bad movies about the ewoks or christmas specials or or any of that kind of stuff doesn't
1: bother me as much it really doesn't
3: uh, well, I don't know. I guess um, I'm really curious to see how closely they follow the books because I don't, I don't know how many people out there are fans of the actual novels of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, if they follow those stories, I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens because I've read a lot of those books, and uh, there's a lot of cool stuff to come if if they do if they if they tap into those stories. But either way, as long as they stay true to the the Star Wars universe, and uh, uh, like you say, there's no way they can do worse than than the the prequels. Yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> I don't think there's really any way that this can fail, honestly.
1: It's um, going to make money whether it's, it's good or not. It, it's <laughs> a, it's
3: an awesome, a profound idea and a profound universe that was created, and now it's been put into the hands of, of fresh, fresh minds, and um, that's 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 what progress is, right? I mean, it's people <coughs> expanding yeah. on the ideas of other people. That's what science is, right? That's what <clears throat> everything kind of relates to that. To people working off of each other, and I think that when you got an idea such as that, and you put it into the hands of people that are fan that are true fans, and yeah. that that really want to see an amazing thing out of this. Uh, it's going to happen, and <clears throat> if the forecast is correct, we got one every other year coming out.
1: Yeah. Well, Disney said they'll make them as long as they remain profitable. And
3: yeah, and it's just going to get bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper, and yeah. and uh, it's it's big now, but like I say there's there's uh, the best is yet to come. I think.
1: First episode of my special Rank and Review Star Wars Retrospective. We're looking at the first six episodes, all in anticipation of The Force Awakens opening right away here. So, I hope you enjoyed that first part of the uh, two-part podcast. We're not going to do any ranks today. I will save that examination for next episode. Um, I know it was kind of a different episode, and I appreciate you guys playing along. A couple things I just wanted to make clear. I do genuinely love Star Wars. I guess you could listen to this episode and think that I was just a hater. I think part of the reason that my anger is so inspired by these prequels is because of the deep love I hold for the originals. And why I feel licensed to unleash this two-hour section of nerd rage is because I know I'm not alone. Mark Kermode, who is a film reviewer for the BBC, uh, tells a story about when the prequels came out, they had a competition on their radio program to get one Star Wars fan, the lucky winner, to fly to Los Angeles for the world premiere screening of The Phantom Menace. And the guy that won was such such a huge Star Wars freak, and was over the moon, as anyone would be, to see this prequel ahead of a game. And when that screening was over, Kermode tells on his radio program, it was very obvious that this man's heart was broken, and that all he could say was, well, it wasn't terrible. And at ground zero, walking away from the theater, that's what I was telling myself. But today, in rank and review in this podcast, I'm saying they're terrible, and I'm saying it with no joy. So next episode, we're going to be looking at the original trilogy. And I think that, strangely, there may be less to say because there'll be more love to share. But uh, I hope you join me for that, and I want to thank you so much for your support of Rankin Review. As usual, you can send feedback to me at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please do seek out the show on Facebook. Seek it out on iTunes. Check out the web site at uh, rankandreview.ca, and please, tell your friends, tell your other movie-loving friends, Star Wars-loving friends, about the podcast. I would really like to get more ears listening to it. It's, it's the reason I'm doing this, it's, it's finding other film freaks out there, and hopefully connecting with them. So, if you have a podcast service that uh, doesn't have my podcast on board, see if you can fix that for me. Please send me any feedback. I would love to do an episode where I read feedback, but in order to do that I'd need to get more of it. We'll see you next episode for Rank and Review Episode 61, you guys. Thank you. we okay.